Uh, my name's Stuart Johnson. I'm Director of the Career Service here at the Uni University of Bristol, and I'm really pleased that we've been joined today by Dr. Charlie Ball. So, Charlie, do you want to tell us who you are and what you do? Uh, yes, I'm Charlie Ball. I'm the Director of uh, HE Intelligence at Graduate Prospects. Prospects is a sector body. We're part of Universities UK, and so it's best thought of as if I'm the uh, higher education sector's labour market specialist. Great. Thanks, Charlie. Uh, so we've just been hearing from you today uh, live, as it were, um, uh, you speaking to colleagues from the Careers Service, but also uh, academics, people from student recruitment, alumni, uh, planning and uh, academic quality. Um, and what we'd like to do is to kind of get a bit of a summary of some of the things that you touched on for uh, those who might be able to kind of pick this up later. So uh, one of the things that you talked about um, as part of your introduction, really, were myths surrounding the graduate labour market. Could you tell us what some of those are? Yes, sure. Um, so one of the major myths is the idea that everybody has a degree. Um, and it's, it's one that you hear a lot in media and one you hear a lot in public discourse about higher education. Um, this idea that degrees are now so ubiquitous that everybody has one. Um, it's the unusual thing now not to go to university. Um, but it's not really true. Um, about 39% of the UK population has a degree, 44.5% of the workforce has one. Um, but it is very class-based. Um, and so you do hear this myth coming out from middle-class people who uh, have been to university themselves, whose parents have been to university, their kids go to university, their friends go to university, or, their, or the people they work with go to university. Um, and they think they're typical of the, work, of, the, of the population in the workforce when they're not. The majority of people in the UK haven't been to university and will never go. Um, and so, you know, essentially, if you say, um, oh, everybody goes to university nowadays, what you're doing is you're marking yourself as somebody who's really very middle class. And what about, um, you mentioned something about uh, uh, there not being any jobs for graduates. Is that true? Well, no. I mean, there are 14.5 million people working in graduate-level jobs in the UK. Um, you know, graduate-level employment is hugely important. It's nearly 50% of the, of the labour market. Um, and... We have we only have about hundred we only we have about hundred thirty six to hundred fifty thousand first degree graduates entering the workforce every year. But in twenty eighteen, three hundred thousand new graduate level jobs were created. Um, there's a very very wide range of, of graduate employment. What that doesn't mean, though, I mean it makes it very hard to say that we, we we obviously have too many graduates. But it doesn't mean that we don't have graduate underemployment, and that's one of the real difficulties we have with the current graduate labour market um, in understanding some of the issues, in working with employers, helping students and graduates more. Um, the simple fact is that we have, at the same time, we have both underemployed graduates and unsupply of graduates um, because we have a lot of graduates who are in the right place. We have a lot of graduates who um, don't see themselves as having the skills to thrive in the roles that are available in the jobs market which is not to say not not the same thing as saying they don't have them it means that sometimes they don't realize they have them they don't have the confidence they've not had the training to realize those roles we have a lot of businesses who could use those graduates but can't get at them for one reason or another so in actual facts a lot of the debate about oh, we have too many graduates so you know we've got skill shortages in various sectors really boil down to a difficulty matching available supply and demand. It would be very easy in a lot of ways to say, oh, we have too many graduates. Because then if that was the actual issue, we could just cut the number of graduates we have and then all of those issues would be solved. But if we cut the number of graduates we'd got, we, we have, we just ex exacerbate a lot of our supply issues. And in fact, 
the real problem is a much more complicated, uh, difficult um, and uh, intractable long-standing issue to do with matching supply and demand. It's harder, but the rewards are greater for getting it right. And does that relate to uh, something you said about uh, the specificity of subjects as well? So I think there was something about, you know, studying certain degrees, learning, leading you in a particular direction, but the majority of degrees being pretty open in terms of the direction yeah, you that, go. Yeah, that's right, Stuart. I mean, um, one of the things people get hung up about is vocational degrees, and, and a degree has to be vocational now or you can't possibly get a job. And, you know, it's tied in with all this debate about whether it's worth studying the arts at university. Um, and I think it's, 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 it's coupled with a slightly outmoded understanding of the way the UK job market works. Internationally, we've got quite an unusual graduate-level jobs market. The majority of roles are at least theoretically available to graduates from all disciplines, and it doesn't really matter whether you studied fine art or physics for most of the jobs available for graduates. I mean, in actual fact, there's a slight bias towards business studies degrees, but that's mainly because a lot of the people recruiting into these roles have business-oriented business, or business degrees themselves, and they like to recruit in their own image. Um, but in general, it shouldn't matter so much because our UK degrees should be imparting a wide range of valuable um, business-oriented skills to graduates in any jobs. So if you take, for example, an engineering degree, um, it opens extra rooms to kind of, uh, extra rooms to the big house of graduate employment. Think of graduate employment as being a very large house with a big front door, and you get your degree and it opens up. Um, and then your other vocational degrees um, open up rooms to other parts of the house, which have cool stuff in them, but isn't the main part of the house. Um, yeah, I've probably stretched that analogy. As far <laughs> um, and that's the way we should be thinking of vocational degrees. They are not a requirement to get a job in the jobs market. They're a requirement to open up some other doors. Getting the degree opens up to the mainstream of the jobs market. And in the same way, taking a vocational qualification like engineering or the sciences or um, nursing even or, or um, highly specialist degrees in the arts doesn't close any of those big any of those main doors off. It just opens a few extra ones. But about sixty to seventy percent of jobs are available to graduates from any discipline, and we need to help employers and graduates alike understand that and understand what they need to do to go and get these jobs. And I'm jumping around a little bit here, Charlie. But one of the things you said towards the end, I think, in our Q and A, uh, was in relation to what sector bodies can do to yeah. help with the undersupply. In the case of the example you were talking about of engineering students. Yeah. Um, so, how does that relate to what you just said? Well, I mean, for engineering, for example, we've got very, very clear undersupply of graduates in in pretty much every engineering discipline, and and they're very serious. They're long-standing, and they get and, it, and they're getting worse. Um, and the professional bodies have a very difficult balancing act to do between preserving their professional standards as they see it and making sure that the, um, the, the, the British engineering degree is an absolute gold standard of quality, but also trying to make them a little bit more op open to people who perhaps have nearly all the, the, um, the qualifications required to become an engineer. Perhaps they took a different degree when they were younger and now they realise that engineering will be a suitable path for them, but they haven't taken a straightforward maths or physics or one of the one of the quite regimented routes into engineering that that that, that, that we that they've they've taken, um, and maybe we need to think quite carefully about you know whether people from highly quantitative social science degrees um, could could possibly convert into engineering and what form that might take. And it might really ease up some of our supply problems, um, but it is a conversation that everybody and the bodies in particular need to have, um, and we need to think quite carefully about it because with all 
with, with the best will in the world, our engineering supply problems are not necessary are not likely to be solved by yet another um, uh, well-meaning, highly marketed attempt saying, "Come and study engineering; it's great." Great, thanks, Charlie. Um, can we talk a little bit about sort of regionality now? Yeah. So there's a big assumption that most of the jobs are in London. Um, but we also know we've been in a fortunate position here in Bristol and that we've got a very um, active local graduate labour market. Yeah. There are certain sectors that um, uh, we're very good at. So top of my head, I'd put in there advanced aerospace, high tech, low carbon, creative digital uh, and professional services as well. There's all sorts of sectors that we're good at. So um, uh, is, is it true that most of the jobs are in London and what can we do to uh, according to the data, to encourage more students to, to stay in Bristol? Well, firstly, I mean, London's the largest graduate labour market in the country, and as many as one in five graduates start their career there. Um, so the majority of graduates get jobs that are outside London. The majority of graduates will never work there. So that's the first thing to bear in mind. Um, most graduates don't work don't work in London and never will. Um, and there isn't a UK graduate labour market because graduates are not really that mobile. They tend to stick close to places that they know. The majority of graduates uh, will get a job close to their degree. The majority of graduates will get a close a job close to the place that they were brought up because 45% of graduates never, never move at all. They go to a local institution. They work locally. That number's probably increasing. We may get to a point where the majority of graduates will attend their local institution and get a job locally. And so those differences between local labour markets become more important. Bristol has a very strong um, creative sector, very strong business services sector. Um, and, and, you know, there are two, two strands of argument. One is, do you want to build on those strengths? And that would be, be the route that I would go down. I, I would say, you make Bristol unique. Um, it does mean that maybe you won't have the same strength in certain other areas that other cities have. But it means that for a graduate wanting, you know, a graduate wanting the low carbon, wanting the creative and the creative digital sectors, um, wanting certain forms of business services, then Bristol will become their marquee location, um, and it'll involve working with local businesses who are often small and medium-sized businesses. The stronger your SME sector, um, the more diverse the options will be available for your graduates. The more choice they'll have, the stronger your local economy will be, um, and it'll all be win-win. That's really helpful. Before we move on to um, occupational shortage data, can I pick up on the thing you just said about SMEs briefly? Because yeah. that's sort of related to the kind of London thing and this yeah. this perception that uh, all the roles are in big corporates, which mm. isn't the case. So uh, one of the things that we've been trying to do more recently at Bristol is to raise the profile of um, SMEs amongst the noisiness that the large volume graduate recruiters make. But the trick is for us is to, to try and uh, do that whilst at the same time um, not annoying the large volume graduate recruiters because they're really important for us as well and a lot of our students want to work in those organizations so the SME market is really important to us it's probably mostly SMEs um, in the locality rather than SMEs elsewhere it, it sounds like that's a good strategy to try and uh, enable students to see what possibilities there are working for organizations that they probably haven't heard of before yeah, and, and that's, the, that's the crucial tension, the, um, and especially in areas where there's a lot of competition for graduates, so in, in a lot of tech areas and a lot of business, study, business services areas where we do have graduate shortages, and the SMEs are tending to lose out at the moment because the big, the big, the big 
um, corporates have a lot more brand awareness. They often have you know campus activities. People know who they are. They pay very well. Um, the big graduate training schemes in particular tend to be London-based, which is one reason why graduates, graduates move there. And of course, you don't want to alienate such an important and crucial part of your um, your, your recruiter body. But at the same time, the smaller businesses um, need to need to get their own their their own TLC. Um, you need to help. You need to help them out. They need to be. They need to be shown some love. And actually, a lot of the graduates who are motivated by roles in in, in bigger businesses um, have slightly different priorities. They are. They, they they may want to move away. They may be more my, more uh, motivated by by factors to do with um, uh, long term career progression or um, uh, the 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 chance to work the chance to work in London at a large corporate HQ. And people who want to work for smaller businesses who are often slightly less interested by earning a large salary straight away, but more interested in jobs that want a bit more responsibility immediately or want a little bit more diversity or are focused on or simply focused on uh, working in a particular location and region. We have to understand that the different groups of businesses uh, recruiting different kinds of people have different priorities and so many different approaches. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, if we could move on to the skills shortage data yeah. uh, now. So that uh, I'm just trying to remember, but I think there are a couple of things. Uh, there's the hard to fill vacancies, or at least yeah. all of the skills shortages um, could be divided into two categories, or perhaps they overlap. This will have to be something you explain. Um, the hard to fill vacancies and those which um, I'm trying to remember the language that is a genuine skills shortage. Yeah. So. If, if, if we think of it, there's, there's kind of two, two forms of problem vacancy, if you like. So there's the hard-to-fill vacancies where employers find a vacancy difficult to fill, which can be for any reason. It can be from anything as much uh, anything up to we, we put an ad out and everybody who applied for the job was rubbish um, to we put an ad out and the ad was terrible. And so as a consequence, nobody came to apply for our job. Um, so that's a hard-to-fill vacancy. And then there's skill shortage vacancies. Now, all skill shortage vacancies are hard-to-fill vacancies. So a skill shortage vacancy will be where the employer said, this job was hard to fill because we didn't get enough people with the right skills. But that also has two components. It has the, it didn't have enough people, and it has, we didn't have the right skills. So a skill shortage vacancy can also be just nobody applied for our job. And that is the problem in certain areas. Um, and and there, are, there are three main areas where that can be a problem at grad, in graduate level. The first is where there just aren't enough people um, uh, training. So the, the poster child for that uh, uh, at graduate level is midwifery, where we, ha we don't have enough midwives, and it's a, there's a real problem, particularly in certain parts of the country. Um, then there are areas where we don't have enough people applying for uh, or don't have enough people applying for um, skills reasons or with the right mix of skills. The film industry seems to have an issue at the moment where they're getting a lot of people, and it seems it, again it's counterintuitive in, in some when you consider some of the rhetoric. The film industry is saying they're getting a lot of graduates at the moment with really top draw technical skills, but not a lot of business skills. And the film industry is a highly pressurised environment, and they sometimes struggle to cope with their very, very high pressure that you've flung into from day one. They've got absolutely top draw technical skills. Um, um, and, and so their, their training, their, their, their actual job training is brilliant, but they're not used to the environment in which they're working. Brilliant. And then there's another group where the job itself, for one reason or other, is not popular with graduates. Um, so estate agencies, 
for example. Recruitment consultancies are not popular. Um, there are some areas where pay levels are not that competitive. So housing, youth and community work, very important areas. Um, um, and, and there are some there are some areas where jobs are, are perceived as being difficult or stressful. Teaching and social work struggle to now struggle to recruit graduates um, and have skill shortage vacancies because they're not getting enough applicants. So there's a whole range, and, and we've got to be quite sensitive to the reasons these are, these are happening. There are whole ranges of of reasons why a job might look like it's a skill shortage vacancy, um, and it's not all down to inadequate training. Um, or graduates not being trained in the right way. Another good example is IT, um, where actually the industry and the, there was a there was a, a major government review, the Shadbolt review, um, last year, which reported back and a, and a, a summary of the Shadbolt review. We've had IT industries for twenty for twenty years. The government commissioner review in the hope that they will be able to find that it was a simple solution. But the summary of the Shadbolt review can basically be summed up as, oh, this is really difficult, isn't it? <laughs> Um, because it turns out there are a whole load of reasons why employers find it hard to recruit the right IT graduates. Um, one of them is there isn't a unified curriculum at HE level. Um, nobody wants a unified curriculum at HE level, but it is a problem for employers who they may have very specific skills training and, and skills needs. And bear in mind that a lot of IT employers are quite small businesses. So you might you might have a, a spin-off project from a big, a big business um, the project manager and and his and I'll say his because he's usually a man. Um, but the project manager and their team may spin off from a larger business with a particularly good product that they developed, and they win a load of business, and they need to recruit, and then they they win some more contracts, and they need to recruit, and the the, the CEO has recruited everybody they know, and now they've got to go and recruit somebody they don't know, and they don't know how to do it, and they don't know how to write a job ad, they don't know how to deal with agencies who do do recruitment. Um, and this is a really steep learning curve for a lot of businesses, and particularly IT businesses. So they put an ad out which looks sensible to them and their mates, and nobody applies for it because it's full of jargon, or they 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 do one of the the major issues um, that particularly small businesses do with job ads, which is they forget to put a salary in, or they forget to actually describe what the job is. They talk a lot about how brilliant their business is because they say, oh, yeah, nobody will know who we are. We've got to market what we do. But they don't say what the job actually entails in ways that students can understand. Or it could be something they can't do anything about very easily. So they might have spun off somewhere in the, in the beautiful Gloucestershire, Gloucestershire countryside, which is close to where the chief operating officer um, <laughs> lives, and it makes it easy for the school run but they can't get anyone to go and move there. And all of these things can cause problems for recruitment. And um, all of these things are reported in, as issues. And they're all things that we need to, be, need to be mindful that can cause problems for employers to, to recruit with. Some of them we, we can work with recruiters on. Some of them we can't. Can I just ask uh, two more questions? One is about um, existing programmes that we run and one is potentially new programmes that we might run as a university. Sure. So firstly, existing programmes. Looking down at the list of uh, graduate jobs with the highest number of reported skills shortages, we've got some very vocational programmes on there like uh, nursing and yeah. uh, uh, doctors, medical practitioners. Um, but going back to the comment about the vast majority of jobs being open to students from any discipline, presumably that means that we could uh, almost map programs that were already running 
uh, to the skills that employers are saying that they're lacking to increase the chances of our students finding roles because that's where more of the vacancies you, are. You absolutely right? could. I mean, it, it will work. But I mean, so for example, one of the big areas of graduates uh, of occupational shortage is sales. Of course, we know that. Employers are always looking for salespeople. A lot of graduates don't want to work in sales. We can't make people who want to work in sales work in sales. But at the same time, though, the, one of the reasons why um, there are shortages in sales is because people with the skills to work in sales are also in demand elsewhere. So if we train graduates to do a bit of selling or with the kind of roles, that they, the kind of skills that are handy in sales, they're useful all the way, all the way across econ uh, the economy. So... Um, Firstly, some of those graduates who get that training will say, actually, I didn't think sales was for me, but it turns out it might be, which will help. And some of them will take that useful commercial skills and the ability to influence and persuade into other roles that are also in shortage, like marketing, like marketing or um, other forms of client-based client business services. And so, yeah, absolutely you can do that. And it will have knock-on effects, not just in um, addressing specific occupational shortages but also in helping people develop ways in uh, or develop careers in job roles that they may not have considered and broaden their own horizons so it's, it's useful beyond the initial use that you yeah, might decide to absolutely do excellent okay so last question and that's to do with uh, potential um new programs so um it's often the way in universities, I think, that the way new programs are developed, you get a new academic in, they have particular research interests, and they run a module on X because that's their research interest. And so that's why we run something. Or it could be at the other end of the uh, kind of process that uh, marketing and student recruitment look into what kind of things the students want to do. Oh, they want to do sports journalism or something. Let's yeah. do something about that. What we spend less time looking at, I think, is the labour market and the skill shortages. Now, in an ideal world, all of these things would map together very nicely, but mm -hmm. we know that that often isn't the case. But bearing in mind what you said about skill shortages and perhaps also hard to fill vacancies, we don't do nursing at Bristol. We'll discount um, uh, medicine because that's very, very kind of specific and niche. Yeah. But what are some of the areas that would be uh, important areas to focus on that isn't simply about students we could get in the door or that fits nicely with academics that have a particular interest, but is actually um, uh, providing a uh, filling a gap in terms of the, the skill shortages out there? Well, I mean... There are, so there, there are certain areas that are uh, that have long-standing and difficult occupational shortages. So many forms of engineering, um, and many forms of the construction industry, so we're especially short of surveyors, for example, at the moment. Um, and we have been for some time, and it's very, very hard to recruit. Um, there, there are very few businesses, I think, who recruit surveyors who would say that they find it easy and they get enough surveyors. Um, there's always going to be a market for coders and programmers. Um, and, uh, but liaising with the industry to find out exactly what programs and coders and what languages and what skills they need is is always a challenge. But we do need a lot of business study, business services generalists, um, and so you can never go wrong with with programs that ma marry good quality quantitative skills with good quality communication skills. So good data handling, good um, business skills, and good communication skills. Um, and then there are other areas of the there are other areas of the um, the economy that are expanding, marketing in general, 
And if you ask people candidly um, for, across a variety of um, disciplines who, who, whose job is titled something else, the, particularly with the, online, the rise of social media and the rise of online business, almost everybody has a marketing component to their job these days. So that kind of training, training in forms of marketing and the sheer diversity of marketing and market research and data use is always going to be handy. Um, but I mean, you shouldn't, we mustn't discount doing, uh, running courses that students want to do, because obviously we need students to do them. But I think it is also mindful, even for a university like Bristol, an international research-led Russell Group University like Bristol, um, with a, with a, genu a genuinely globe, uh, a genuinely national and global workforce, or, or oriented workforce, the largest or the most important labour market that you deal with is your local labour market. It's, it's Bristol and the areas around Bristol. And if the jobs are not there for your course, some of your students will struggle to get good outcomes as a consequence of that course. And so you do need to think about how that works within Bristol's university ethos and offering. Brilliant. Thank you, Charlie. Um, just one thought from me before you finish, and that was the combination of data handling skills and communication skills always yeah. being a good combination uh, that's probably something for another recording with other people who are more specialist on that but uh, the idea that uh, assessment for instance should uh, uh, take into account the kind of skills that we're trying to get students to develop not simply the way we want to assess it has got to be crucial in uh, making sure that the skills that are going to be useful for them post-university uh, are also going to be developed as part of their program. So, so much so much graduate employment skilled employment is now and will be in the future about um, essentially taking large quantities of information and synthesizing it for people to use um, and those and, and that's that that's the, the route that we need to be um, ensuring that the graduates are equipped for as they um, as as they as, as they move on. That's that's where a lot of our uni that's where a lot of our university strengths lie as well. So we should build on that. Brilliant. Thanks a lot, Charlie. Thanks, Stuart. Thank you.